Marini's Media. Cock out, garnering leave and sherry gone. Just another sacking season in the EFL. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, it's me, Faker Others, back with you and ready to guide you through yet another tumultuous week in the football leagues. Uh, We've got Exeter's Matt Taylor joining us later. Ryan Conway will be taking us through the sacking of Philip Koku. And of course, there'll be some match reviews as well. But I can't do it alone, so let me introduce you to the double act of the century. Yeah, maybe. Uh, First up, he's played for Arsenal, Southend and Stevenage. It's Adrian (laughs) Clark. Hello, double act of the century. I think we need to rein it it in a little bit, but... but We'll take it. I should have I should have got like a drum roll and all sorts of stuff. Uh, you must be delighted at Southend's win, though, Adrian. Oh yes, just so so relieved. I know that it's just been hell really for everyone involved uh, with the club so far this season. Let Let's just hope it's not a full storm. Let's hope they can kick on from here. But yeah, that was that was really satisfying win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, alongside us as well, Swindon Town legend. You and I know him as Sam Parkin. It is Sam Parkin. Hi, Faye. How are you doing? <laughs> Very well. That was an exasperated hi, Faye. Come on, you can do better than that. Tell me your highlight of the weekend, please. Oh, the highlight of the weekend. Um, Doesn't have to be football, bearing in mind what you've well, just told us off air. Yeah, I'm juggling a lot of plates at the moment, but my uh, we're, we're moving home and obviously I've got a baby, but he did sleep through the night the other day. So um, big celebrations in this household. <laughs> wow, I thought those bags looked a little bit brighter. Uh, right, let's get to tradition. A performance of the weekend each please after this performance of the weekend so for any new listeners we each get 15 seconds just to tell you very quickly about some outstanding performances from the weekend it's a little bit of fun don't take it too seriously uh, we'll start with you Clarky. Uh, show us how it's done you've picked Tranmere Yep, Tranmere have stopped whining and started winning and it suits them. 2-0 and 3-2 down, not helped by a soft pin, but they deservedly fought back to win 4-3 at Vale Park. Blackett Taylor unplayable up top, slick passing and Morris's injury time screamer. That was a very loud gong. I nearly had to remove my headphones. You got drowned out at the end there. Uh, Sam, you've got South End. Go! The first win of the season and the first away win since January, stopping a run of nine games, eight defeats and a draw. Oxley, brilliant in goal, white, imperious at the back and a wonderful winner from super sub, Aqua. Go on, the Shrimpers! (laughs) Oh, do you know what? You've actually stolen mine from crew. I've got go on the Alex at the end of mine. I can't quite, like, extend the Alex, but I'll have to take that out now. Otherwise, it looks like I'm copying. Uh, Right, I have crew. Three, two, one, go. The cruise ship had run aground in recent weeks. No points from their last three games, but they sunk the league leaders Peterborough with first half goals from captains Pickering and Kirk. Yes, I know they're not actually the captains. To inflict Posh's first defeat in nine games. Go on the Alex. I needed it. I needed it. (laughs) Okay, head on to Twitter to vote. You can find us at The Totally Show and you'll be able to find loads more content there too. And don't worry, MK Dons fans, we will be discussing your win later. Okay, gents, before we actually talk about the football, there's a few things that we need to get through. First up, the EFL accepting the £50 million bailout for Leagues 1 and 2. This, of course, coming after Parliamentary Committee heard that 10 clubs uh, were seriously struggling. Sam, you can't really blame them for taking it, even though back in October uh, we understood the initial rejection. Yeah, I think they wanted something separate for the Championship, which seems to be... Uh, getting put in place now and obviously there was a discrepancy about how the money was going to be delivered and now it sounds like it's going to be 50 million in grants which seems sensible rather than making these clubs which are in difficult predicaments pay back money at at some point so so yeah it's all positive I don't know how long that's gonna keep the clubs from the wall it certainly helped them with the uh, the salaries for last month, this month, and, and maybe into the new year. I don't know. I'm, where does the money go? Does each club get an equal share? Do the clubs that have maybe got more 
power in terms of their spending get the same share i don't know it's quite difficult to police and and maybe as well uh the premier league the efl will want to see how that money is spent but of course it's a real positive that they're getting some funds and and hopefully things nationally and in the world will have improved when that that money runs dry yeah, it still does leave a lot of questions unanswered for sure. And, and where exactly, Adrian, does it leave the championship as well? Because the EFL statement said championship clubs also acknowledge that discussions in respect of the levels of support they will receive will remain ongoing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like the solidarity that the club showed. Basically, Leagues 1 and 2 said, look, we're not, we're not going to accept it until the championship are brought in to the conversation. And the championship themselves have said, look, take the money. We're going to sort something out for ourselves effectively. And it seems that unlike the grants, which are on offer, we hope, to League 1 and League 2 clubs, that has to happen, by the way. I think loans would be disastrous further down the line. These clubs won't be able to pay them back. So let's hope it is going to be grants. Uh, but for the Championship, it's different because they do have you know ways of, of paying back loans because of the income when fans are allowed back into stadiums. So it appears they're trying to negotiate, I think, £200 million worth of, of loans in championship clubs. And on that, I guess it could make it easier to divvy up because the clubs themselves can can effectively choose how how much they want to borrow, um, depending on, on how they how much they need it at the time. So, so hopefully it'll be a smooth process. For Leagues 1 and 2, Sam's right, how does it get divvied? I think personally, just from the outside looking in, just feels like just split it evenly down the middle because every club need, needs the cash right now. Yeah, that would be the fairest way for sure. But I'm sure it's never that straightforward, is it? Uh, that's the money stuff wrapped up. Let's head to the championship where the managerial merry-go-round is picking up a pace. So I'm sitting in the dressing room, got a towel over my head and I can just hear goal after goal after goal going in and... Um, I mean that's that's down to me that then. yeah that was a that was a low point definitely and big regret Peter Crouch is pretty good at podcasts apparently so he joined Ruby Walsh and Paddy Power himself on the latest from the Horse's Mouth show to talk about Liverpool's spurs and feeling like a head on a stick search Paddy Power on your podcast provider and listen now Paddy Power 18plusbegambleaware.org This is the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network So in the championship, no matches played, but Philip Koku's job became untenable at the Rams and Tony Pulis is now an owl. Let's talk Derby first, though. And to help us do that, we've got the Athletics Derby correspondent, Ryan Conway, with us. Hi, Ryan. Hello. So no real surprise that Philip Koku has gone, perhaps. But what was the eventual straw that broke that camel's back? Um, I think the back-to-back home defeats to Queen's Park Rangers and, and Barnsley were the, the ones that, that did it. Obviously, he wasn't at the Barnsley game um, because he was having to, to self-isolate, um, but he was in constant communication with uh, Twine Sheepers throughout that game um, over the phone. Um, so, yeah, he had, he had picked the team for that day. and uh, I think Liam, Liam Rossini was basically acting as, as manager, um, but Koku was still having some influence. So, yeah, I think, I think the failure to collect any points from back-to-back home games really, really did seal his fate. Yeah, Ryan, it was interesting to see Liam Rossini make some quite dramatic changes tactically midway through the game that he had in charge. Um, is, there, is there any feeling there that maybe he he hadn't agreed with the the, the team that had been selected from the off or, or the approach necessarily? Because obviously moving Rooney back into midfield was quite a drastic course of action. Um, was there any kind of issue behind the scenes? Uh, not from what I'm led to believe, because uh, Liam had, had addressed that post game um, and said that it was it was quite strange actually, because he said that the decision that at half time that he made to bring Josviak on and withdraw Matt Clark and drop Rooney back into midfield, as you said, that decision he said was his decision, but he had talked it through with Philip, um, which I found I don't know maybe a little bit strange if Philip had picked the team um, and picked the shape. Um, yeah, that to me was a bit like, oh, okay, that's weird. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't get the sense there was any sort of 
dissension, you know, amongst his amongst the coaching staff. Because um, I, I also believe the shape they reverted to the three four three. Uh, for the Barnsley game was the correct shape. Um, they played with a, a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1 against QPR, which they reverted to in the second half of the Barnsley game. And, and in my opinion, um, that is the incorrect shape to go with. So, yeah, I think moving back to that, I actually think moving back to that was a, a more puzzling decision. Ryan, um, you obviously had to deal with a hell of a lot off the pitch uh, during the, the first season. How much of it do, do you think... <laughs> When you look at everything that's gone on on the face of it, um, boils down to just not having probably enough firepower this season. Has there been mistakes in the transfer market? Because every time I see them, I just think that team is crying out for one or two out-and-out strikers. And obviously, Martin and, and Marriott were let go in the summer. Yeah, I think the inability to find a striker that could get you, you know, closer to 20 goals than than 10 goals you know I think Martin Wagon is is dependable for you know 10 to around 15 a season you know in in that bracket um Marriott had a spell under Lampard where I think he got seven in seven in nine or something like that but but never really hit the heights I think that many were expecting for the the three million that they that they paid for him at the time and obviously just come off 27 goals at, at Peterborough I think the ways they've tried to almost manufacture firepower from, you know, trying to get more goals from midfield and, and trying to get, you know, sp- sort of spread that, spread the wealth as, as it were in, in that area has been detrimental in the fact that, you know, they've, they've only scored one goal from, from open play. In fact, yes, they have only scored one goal from open play in the league this season. Ironically, that was a Jack Marriott goal against Luton. I think Marriott always felt a little bit like a, a square peg in a round hole in, in Phillips system. Now, one could argue that that is also the fault of Koku not knowing how to get the the best out of him, but he he was also a player that you felt like he needed like five chances to get one goal. He wasn't very clinical in a lot of the games that that he'd started because while the, it's a fair argument to say he didn't get a good run of games, what is neglected in that argument is he has chances when he has minutes. Like chances do fall to him, he just doesn't put them away consistently enough, and that is why. He, probably remained on the bench for a lot of the the time under Koku. Ryan, I read your article um, earlier on and, you know, it it very much points to the fact that Philip Koku was a popular uh, person at at Derby and and very classy in in many ways, but just perhaps wasn't able to to turn things on. You know, Sam's mentioned there uh, everything that he's had to deal with, uh, but he did do some good things as well. However, the moment that Wayne Rooney was brought to Derby last season, questions were automatically put that he would take over so is he first at the top of the list to take charge um i think the prevailing feeling is that he wants the job and he's pushing for the job um and there, there's also a feeling and a consensus that if the appointment is going to come from within the club um that it'll be wayne rooney that uh, that gets it you know there's new owners coming to town what better way to get more eyes on the thing that you've bought than putting Wayne Rooney in charge of that thing. <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't think that that should be the way to to go. Um you know, Rooney is is still doing some of his some of his badges. You know, Liam Rossinha is the more qualified coach. Um and I I think, you know, him and Rooney have got a, a co-managerial arrangement going on um in the short term here, but I haven't heard anyone sort of mention Liam as a, as a serious candidate, which is, is a shame um, because he's a qualified one. Ryan Conway, Derby correspondent for The Athletic. So that's not the only managerial change in the second tier. Just quickly, uh, I want both of your thoughts on Tony Pulis in at Sheffield Wednesday. Sam, is it a bit of a firefighting job for him or, or long term, perhaps? Um, you'd have to say the former, probably. Um, it's been a club where me and Adrian have been quite scathing, I would say, over the last couple of seasons. The lack of a, a plan. Um, I think they've looked really poor defensively. I don't think that's been helped by having a really imbalanced midfield for, for a large part as well. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to have to get them, them organised uh, further uh, in terms of what Gary Monk was able to do. But it's not an appointment that is going to thrill I've got a good mate who's a Sheffield Wednesday fan and he is not thrilled. So that's what I'm going to go on. Nothing more scientific than that. 
Um, although I did enjoy the social media um, photo that Sheffield Wednesday put out of the baseball caps that are selling like hotcakes in the club shop. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty mate. much all I'm going to say on it because it's mate, not... Mate. It's not something you know. If it was my club, I wouldn't be delighted with that appointment. But I'm sure he'll he'll do a he'll do a good job. Maybe that's why they brought him in commercial sales. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clarky, how thrilled are you? Well, yeah. Look, I th- on that subject, a very important subject, obviously headwear. Um, it's about time he upgraded, isn't it? He's a, he's, a, he's a man, you know, of a certain age. I think he's outgrown the cap look myself. I think he should be looking for something. A little bit classier moving forwards, but let, 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 let's not. I dare you to tell him that. <laughs> I absolutely won't tell him that. Um, but yeah, let's see. Look, he's, he's a safe pair of hands, you would imagine. Um, the issue, I think, at the moment, and Sam's right about overall, they haven't had a plan, and the midfield's been quite weak. Too much reliance on Bannon. He's scoring goals at home. You, you have to go back to December 2019 for the last time they scored more than one goal at Hillsborough in a championship game. So so that needs to change. And, and Tony Poulis isn't renowned for his attacking football, of course, but but he'll, he'll find ways to, to score goals, I'm sure. The set pieces will no doubt improve. And, um, and yeah, look, after a, quite a long period out of the game, I'm sure he's pretty hungry, actually, to make sure this job's a success. It, it might, I don't want to sort of put him into retirement yet, but it might be his last shot at management, and I think he'll be really, really keen to make it work. I, I imagine he'll put everything into this. So keen. Producer Abby's actually told me he was wearing a beanie in the photograph that uh, Sheffield Wednesday put out today. So, you know, <laughs> maybe he's upping his game on the headwear stakes. Uh, or they're just making him show the whole range. He's the new model. That's uh, training anyway. ground, isn't it? Training ground, beanie, and then the cap comes out for his formal wear on a match day. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, that's the championship. Let's actually delve into some proper match action, shall we? Uh, That's next. The heating's on and it's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? That's right, just 100 of your finest British sterling. And every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around. Plus, a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash league show. So League One headlines. John Sheridan switches Wigan for Swindon. Ben Garner's told his time is up at Bristol Rovers. On the pitch, league leaders Peterborough lost to Crewe, whilst perennial promotion favourite Sunderland lost to MK Dons. Meanwhile, the Tigers move up to second with a 2-0 win over Burton and Accrington beat Northampton. Uh, shall we start with that goal fest at New Meadow, though? Shrewsbury 3, Swindon 3. John Sheridan's first game in charge of Swindon saw the Robins come back from 3-1 down to share the points with the shrews um, Sam what have you made of Sheridan's switch in the week is he the right man to keep Swindon in League One um, well keep him in League One blimey um, we've got bigger ambitions than that um, I suppose everyone from the outside thinks it's a left field appointment but um, John Sheridan has worked for the owner who, who owns Waterford in Ireland for I think only a brief spell in the summer six weeks or something Tommy Wright, his long-term assistant, was Richie Wellens' assistant manager. Paul Jewell, I think, knows John Sheridan well. He's at the club as well. So it wasn't a surprise to me. Obviously, he's not been pulling up trees, um, John Sheridan, in the last few seasons. So that's probably why it's raised a few eyebrows. But safe pair of hands need to improve defensively. You know, they've been so good going forward, but um, defensively, real problems. And he's already spoken about... Uh, that's the area he's got to focus on. Just to watch him brief, brief at the, the weekend, he was in the dugout, but um, the, the guys I've already mentioned, Tommy Wright in particular, took the team. So, yeah, he's not had too much involvement as of yet. And, um, yeah, it's kind of sums up Swindon's season, I would say. Slow out the traps, um, weak defending set pieces, but obviously an abundance of talent going the other way. So he'll reflect and he'll be positive about the reaction of the players um, getting back in the game and um, yeah maybe just thinking pragmatically about how he can make them a bit more solid not so much the personnel that will come back he's got 
you know, injuries, Dion Conroy, Baudry's been missing, Donahue will come back in at left back. But maybe just, I think maybe sacrificing one of those forward players and bringing in another tough midfielder like they had last year. They had a two-man pivot, which was really good for them and really strong. So continue Matt Smith to go forward from midfield and get goals, the on-loan Arsenal man, and maybe just secure things up in the midfield with another body. Sam, they've scored more goals than Charlton, Lincoln and Sunderland. So, so in that sense, it's, it's clicking, isn't it? It's just, he's it, coming into a job. All managers should know how to organise a defence. So in many respects, he can get almost, you know, leave the forward guys to, to continue doing their stuff and, and work on work on that rear guard, can't he? The, the, the biggest thing, actually, from the weekend is that Joe Fryer played in goal and it was his first league start for, for Swindon and John Sheridan had him at Carlisle and he had a really horrific double leg break um, when he was on loan from Middlesbrough. So they've had a young lad on in goal from Manchester United and I think giving the confidence to the back four or back five or whatever it is that we've got someone we can rely on behind is big for, for any team. So... It's been quite a difficult start for it's Matic Cover, the, the, the online Manchester United goalkeeper who left out for the first time. And I'm not saying that was John Sheridan's decision, but whoever made it is is a big call and still ship three goals, but they need to get that that sorted moving forward. Is he the type of person that would make big calls like that? Because you played with him, Sam, didn't you? What's what's he actually like? Well he's tough. You know, I, I had him in my midfield when I was playing my first games really on loan and um He'd been such an amazing player that I think it was just such a thrill, such a buzz for me to be on the same pitch as him. I loved it, but you were left in no uncertain terms what your job was. And if I gave the ball away, he'd give you a mouthful. But at that age, I was just, yeah, just buzzing to be on a pitch with someone who, you know, played in, probably played in the World Cup, didn't he, John Sheridan? Certainly played in cup finals for Sheffield Wednesday. But I would imagine he's taken that into his management. He will pull no punches and the lads will know in no uncertain terms what's required of them. And this year, you're right, Faye, they can't get engulfed in a relegation battle. And, and hopefully it'll be mid-table, but I think the fans on reflection are probably just hoping to stay in the division now, given what's going on in the world. Uh, right, Sunderland 1, MK Dons 2. Sunderland fans able to climb aboard the parky out bus again after they lost to uh, Russell Martin's MK Dons. Uh, Adrian, is this just one of those anomalies that happen or are there some real reasons why they're perhaps not capitalising on their chances at the minute? <laughs> well, that is a good question. I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that at the moment, not, not least Phil Parkinson. It's it's a, It's been a... Another kind of strange season. Just when you think Sunderland are finding their feet, as in previous seasons, they they suffer these these kind of setbacks. Um, they're not defending well. That that much is for sure. Their average expected goals against across the last six games is one point four six a game, which is a lot. And the previous previous six games was just zero point six. So they've got issues without the ball, and and MK Dons ruthlessly exploited that in this game. I think in central midfield, they were outplayed at the weekend by, by a more vibrant, young, possibly younger younger engine room trio. They certainly had a little bit more more speed and dynamism about them than Power, Leadbitter and, and, and Scoen. And, and I think there's just too much reliance really on, on why can Gooch to, to come up with something. Gooch, I think, is a, is a really lively player. Um, Wyke is, is their top scorer by miles but you look at Grigg who missed a sitter in this game open goal Grigg and Graham two guys they're spending an awful lot of money on haven't scored haven't scored in League One this season so there are there are issues for Sunderland I, I personally still think they're a, they're, a, they're a decent team that should be in and around the playoffs but yeah I, I think automatic which is what Sunderland fans demand it might be beyond them with this group of players Hmm. Uh, what about MK though, Sam? Uh, a, a decent amount of praise needed for them. They're four unbeaten. It's their first win away from home in over a year. 20 games, that is. Uh, so what exactly is Russell Martin doing right? Well, he's doing a lot right. I think, you know, I spoke about them a few weeks ago when they beat um, Gillingham at home. It's a very different way of playing in comparison to every team in the division, I would say, this season. Um, they're focused on themselves don't worry about the opponents let them worry about them 
And the interesting thing from the weekend, I think it was really brought into focus with the lack of Premier League and Championship games, using the goalkeeper as a spare man. I saw David Priest talking about it uh, on Twitter um, and he was heavily involved down the right-hand side. So overloading on the right-hand side and what it does, it just takes a striker out of the the game and then they can play 11 v 10. So it's something I saw Swindon did. I've spoken about it on a number of occasions, this exact style. Not only that, but there's Louis Thompson in the midfield, ex-Swindon, Ben Gladwin played uh, in a wide position on the weekend and great to see those two thriving again in League One. Uh, that was in the absence of the two normal wing-backs, Paul and, and Harvey, who are away on um, in international duty. So what they needed was the, the cherry on the top and Cameron Jerome looks like he's um, potentially going to supply that. I thought it was a brilliant goal. Great ball in, probably was Gladwin, uh, who's got great technique. And, and Jerome with probably the best header you'll see across the weekend. I thought it was phenomenal. So yeah, they're doing a lot right. And interestingly, having said all that, they only had 38% of the ball in this game. So it's probably the first time. And, and let's credit Sunderland, who, yeah, they're a powerhouse in this division, but they've still got a lot of good players and are going to dominate a lot of games. This was MK having more thrust on the counter-attack than maybe I've seen before. Yeah, and you mentioned Cameron Jerome there. I think he probably got a bit giddy pants with that um, equaliser because did a bit of a tweet and delete at one thirty in the morning. Um, I don't know if either of you saw this, but he says, don't often tweet because, of course, somebody took a photograph of it before he managed to take it down. Don't often tweet, but let me throw something out there. Maybe a nibble, maybe tongue-in-cheek. Poor, poor side with average players for the league. It's time to accept you're now a bang-average League One team. Glory days are gone. Hashtag let it go. Hashtag Sunderland. Oh, what was he thinking? Brutal. Brut- Let's hope we're not we're not looking to invite Cameron Jerome on for an interview in the, in, in the coming weeks. And we've, oh, it'd we've be tucked, fun. We've, we've tucked him up big time here, haven't we? exposing the, the deleted tweet. I love, he I like tweeted it. it. <laughs> I love it. The, the journalism kicking in there, Faye. Um, top work. The um, Yeah, it's unusual, isn't it? Because footballers very rarely say say things like that, being critical of, of opponents. See, I don't know whether something went on there. But look, he's, he's enjoying himself, isn't he? He's definitely made a difference for MK Dons, as has Scott Fraser, who I always really liked him at, at Burton. He scored some great goals classy operator in midfield and and those two seem to be the kind of missing links you know they've got that 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 experience and quality to go with the, the these younger players the these players that are being molded by Russell Martin in a very unique style as Sam puts it um yeah I think I think the future could be bright for MK providing of course they keep they keep winning because if they don't keep winning then you know as we've seen elsewhere Chairman won't hang on forever. Um, so I really wish them well because it's good to see someone trying something different. Mm, very much so. Now, earlier on, we were talking about managerial casualties and one of the other managers to leave this week was Bristol Rovers' Ben Garner after they were hammered 4-1 uh, by Fleetwood. Um, does anybody know the answer to this question? What actually were Ben Garner's Bristol Rovers? <laughs> I think Ben Garner is clearly a, a very qualified coach who got an opportunity uh, at a League One club and maybe it just wasn't the quite the right fit given that he wasn't that adaptable. I think sometimes you have to adapt to the league uh, a touch and I think he was quite keen on playing possession football. I think he was backed in the summer as well. When you look at the, the names, you look at the type of players he was able to bring in, listed a few, Baldwin, Ostuma... Uh, the duo from Chelsea, Grant and McCormick, Westbrook, which I thought was a fantastic signing from Coventry. And I think just sometimes you have to be a bit more adaptable uh, with your tactics. And maybe that's where he's fallen down with as well losing your top marksman. You know, you lose someone like Clark Harris. So I think probably now pound for pound is right up there. I thought it was probably the best you could go and get in terms of a replacement for Ivan Tony, So he had his work cut out to replace that. He's brought in Hanlon, who's about, I don't know, he's an eight, ten goal a season man at best. So when you lose your focal point and don't really replace it, it's a struggle. So I think there's a number of elements, but yeah, that, that defeat, the nature of it, I'm not overly surprised. The fans weren't that down on him, Faye, really, to be honest. I think they, they liked what he was trying to achieve. What they didn't like was the 
was the 18% win ratio. And and it's as simple as that. It, it, you can admire a lot of the work, the coaching, what he's done behind the scenes, by all accounts, he's brought in a lot of, you know, professionalism with the analysts and nutritionists and, and whatnot. He's changed things up behind the scenes. But ultimately, if you only win six games out of 33, you go, you're going to pay the price, aren't you? You're going to, you're going to lose your job. And, and it is his team. Sam's, Sam's bang on. He signed 11 players, most of them senior players. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's just one of those. It hasn't worked. I, I felt for him at the weekend because the goalie was missing. Yankela, wasn't he? The, the, the number one. Um, Van, Jordi Van Stapershoff was in goal instead. And I, what a I name. Mean, it's a great name, and it was a wonderful it's like Harry Enfield, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like. It. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a worldy free kick in some respects from from Callum Camps, but I still I think I could have saved it. I think if I stood there and stuck my hand up, I, it might have broke my hand. I could have got something on it. It just looked like the goalkeeper almost dived out of the way of it, and that I think just triggered a bit of a collapse against Fleetwood in in, in quite poor playing conditions. So so yeah, I, I felt a bit sorry for him, but. Yeah, six six wins, not enough. I thought it was interesting that the axe falls on the day that they scored one of the standout goals in the division oh, as well. Yeah, it's it was like a great a, goal. Multiple players involved, great passing move. And I, I watched a lot of Josh Grant in Chelsea's youth teams. I've not seen him that high up before, but brilliant little finish as well. So there's been a lot of good, I think. And that's why um, I think there's mixed feelings amongst the fans. But the results ultimately mean that they'll probably be on board with it. Yeah, it was his first goal for the club as well, Josh Grant. Uh, so a good one to start to start his account with. Um, you both mentioned recruitment there. And actually, uh, the club's head of recruitment, Tommy Ridrington, is the odds-on candidate to get the job permanently with Paddy Power. Um, so would that keep the fans happy? Um, I mean, I know Michael Flynn was on Quest at the, at the weekend and he spoke quite glowingly about Bristol Rovers as a club, perhaps as a, you know, it's not that far from where he is. Could he be in with a shout as well? Well, it's a lot of good managers not in work at the moment that, that might be interested in this job. It depends, doesn't it? Like, in terms of... The, the playing style, the direction, do they want to stick with the same or or go for a, a more of a proven winner type manager? It's, it's a really hard, hard one. I mean, the, the Cowley brothers are out of work. I think you could you could certainly do a lot worse than than, than try and go for them. Flynn is, is doing great work, obviously, at, at Newport. So, yeah, no, interesting. I, personally, after going with Ben Garner, a manager that had never managed in League One, <laughs> I think it would be crazy if I'm honest to go with another unproven manager at that level I think they have to have to go for someone that, that's been there and done it to some degree yeah well we shall wait and see uh, finally we'll end our League One review with the arguably the shock of the weekend Dave Artel's crew beating league leaders Peterborough uh, the stats say that the match was even 10 shots three on target apiece uh, so what was the actual difference in this game Sam oh we have to say crew played very well and in particular some of their their standout players from over the last 18 months or so Wintle outstanding obviously no Kirk's ability and Pickering as well the, the goal scorers but I think a fortuitously awarded free kick and also a mistake from Peterborough uh, Mason's pass allowing Kirk in for the goal so not to say crew didn't play very well I think the, the press was led excellently by Mandron and they really stopped Peterborough playing but it was a real sub below par performance from Peterborough you know really disappointing in all, in all areas you know missing Nathan Thompson and Jack Taylor badly I think and just didn't get Clark Harris into the game so I think sometimes at the moment especially you're going to get these games where teams just don't turn up and that that happened at the weekend. They they changed it at half-time to Peterborough, but to no avail. He's been flittering between 4-2-3-1 and the back three, uh, playing two number 10s, and that didn't have any effect on the game whatsoever. So passing really bad and just a, a really bad off day. But yeah, credit crew because their results have not been good of late and that, that was a, a real coupon buster. Mm, I saw that Newcastle boss Steve Bruce was in the stands watching that one as well, Clarkey. Who will he have yeah. had his eye on? Michael Mandron, maybe? 
Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, uh, Sir, Sir Ricky Dembele, I think, probably is the, is, the, is the star man in the division at the moment. So maybe he was looking at him. And, and if, if he was, then it might be good news for, for, for posh fans because I don't think he really did anything of note in the game. So, yeah, but Mandron is, is a player of potential. He's still young enough to get a big move. And he, he's definitely added some something different for Crew this season. I, I really like them. I, I, they've lost... Five matches, one nil this season, which I think is is both a good and a bad sign because it, it you know they're, they're very they can stay with anyone I think in the division, but but yeah they've just been a little bit too easy to to, to score against I guess at at times defensive defense isn't their strong point but I'm excited for them I, I love the midfield Winter Lowry and, and Finney they, they're just really neat and tidy footballers out of the crew mould and and. You know, I like to mention ages on occasion on the podcast, and I've had a look at, at the age of, of the year eleven at the weekend. Eight of the eleven were were between twenty and twenty four, and I think that's I think that's really healthy because that's that that's an age where you're coming into your prime. And I think if they if they stick together as a group over the course of this season and next, they could could be a really really strong team. Fifteen of the nineteen players used this season have been between 20 and 26 so it really is a, a group in their early 20s that, that that have bought into into our tail and, and his methodology so yeah no, I'm, I'm quite excited for crew as always with them though it's can they keep hold of these talents moving forwards yeah they, they would take scalps like Peterborough along the way because they've got they've got these really good footballers but but they may be just that like that steel and consistency that's that's the one missing ingredient Mm. Let's wrap up League One then with some odds. Uh, Producer Abby, nice and simple. Winner, please, according to Paddy Power. Their loss at the weekend hasn't affected uh, them being the favourites. Peterborough still 3-1 to one to uh, favourites to win League One. Sunderland coming in second, 7-2, and Portsmouth 6-1. to one. Uh, Who's getting promoted, please? Sunderland favourites to get promoted, 10-11. to 11. Peterborough evens. Portsmouth 13-8. to eight. Hull two to one, Charlton two to one, and Ipswich are sixteen to five. That gives you six teams there. So who's going down? Going down is Northampton. They lost at the weekend, didn't they? To Accrington four to six. So their odds on as are Wigan four to five, as are Burton five to six, as are Rochdale ten to eleven. So done and dusted, right? <laughs> yeah, re- really simple. Thank you. Uh, right, next stop on this EFL tour, it's League Two. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Luca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Right, League Two headlines. Southend United have won a match. I repeat, Southend United have won a match. So did fellow relegation place occupants Scunthorpe. What a weekend for them. At the top, Barrow struck in the 96th minute to stop Cambridge retaking the league lead. Tranmere also took until injury time to beat 10 men Port Vale 4-3. Meanwhile, Nigel Clough is unbeaten as Stag's boss. But Richie Wellens' start as Salford manager didn't go so well. They lost 2-0 to Bolton on Friday night. Uh, we're going to start the look back, though, on the weekend's events in the southwest because Exeter drew 2 to all with Bradford and here to join the show it's Exeter boss Matty Taylor. Right so one side of the coin says unbeaten in 12 and the other says that was perhaps a winnable game against Bradford what do you say? Yeah we, we feel that way probably been a reflection of our season so far we performed really well for certain periods of games um, and been on top um, but just not managed to see those games through um, and pick up the much needed wins that, that everyone desires at this level. Um, we played some outstanding football at the weekend um, and created a lot of chances against a good team in terms of in relation to Bradford um, but just disappointing in terms of a couple of cheap goals um, and not really taking our, our opportunities to increase that lead when we're on top. Yeah, you've been a real delight to watch this season, but conceding goals has been a little bit of a problem. I think that was the eighth time this season that you've conceded two or more. Is that, is that something you're working on on fixing? Yeah, certainly. Um, but we've got an extra 
attacking dimension to our game this season, um, which is, you know, proved productive in terms of the goals ratio we've been scoring. Um, you always want to keep clean sheets and you always want to score the first goal. First goal at this level is absolutely key. Um, the irony at the weekend, we had a corner and then, you know, 10 seconds later, they were putting the ball in the back of our net. So, um, but it's, it's the mentality of the group um, and a lot of managers will be saying it this time of season. Um, we've got quite a young group as well who's still learning the game, um, learning the trade, but learning the trade on the job as well. So, um, mistakes are going to be made. We, we, we're far from the finished article, but the signs are really good in terms of what we want to get to. Um, and there's some promising um, positions on that football pitch which have probably um, exceeded our expectations at the start of the season. Matt, how did you deal with the uh, disappointment of the, the playoff final? Not not yourself, but how did you raise the morale amongst the players? Because in my experience, it can drag on to the next season. Was it individual meetings or did you sit them all down in pre-season? No, an individual meeting straight after the game or a couple of days after the game. Um, it was a devastating loss. Um, our weaknesses were really highlighted on the biggest stage um, that evening. Um, but that wasn't a fair reflection on our, our season. Um, generally, we'd been pretty consistent throughout the season. Um, I'd been close to that top three those top three positions throughout the campaign. Season obviously suspended uh, nine or ten games short and we still fancied ourselves of those automatic positions. So um, the squad was a lot stronger last season. Unfortunately, um, the majority or nine of those players left us Eight, eight, eight more senior ones and one player who was on loan um, and we only recruited two players at the start of pre-season a third came in, in the form of Lewis Page midway through pre-season so it was a tight time in terms of budget and, and obviously restraints um, but it meant we had to go a certain direction this season which is a little bit younger change our formation a little bit more dynamic on the outside of the pitch um, and like I say in terms of our attacking play it's been really pleasing I'm an old school defender at art and I want a few more clean sheets. Um, but sometimes you make sacrifices and you know with less pressure on us this season and very little expectation, we've really given it a good go. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to touch on, you you kind of mentioned it there, but I remember watching Michael Flynn's Newport losing the playoff final and obviously they consolidated last year, this year looking really strong, playing a new style. So what have you and your coaching staff adapted uh, in the pre-season, the opening games, to make sure you are contenders for automatic this year and don't have to go through the playoffs? Um, really, at the start of the season, I've got to be honest in terms of where I thought the squad was. We weren't as strong as last season in terms of the squad and the players we've got, um, but we've got more legs on the outside of the pitch. So if we can get a strong spine through the middle and a consistent spine and, and some of the more senior ones through the middle of the pitch, then those legs on the outside, which I keep talking about and referring to, will be able to show their, their ability. Um, the, the, the circumstances of the league will continue to change. Um, pitches will deteriorate from probably next weekend onwards. Our home pitch will deteriorate. Uh, we might even have to change our style again like we did at the start of the season. Um, so we've got to be flexible in terms of formations, but you, you played under Paul yourself as well. And if there's any a group of players who are flexible in relation to changing shape and, and, and doing what's needed in relation to the game, then it's XSC and XSC players. Um, so that's a great place to be going into these these winter months um, like I say the, the group have got to be able to step in at, at any moment um, and be able to play what's needed for the, that specific opposition or or the conditions we face they're motivated and uh, you mentioned at the start about how I had to pick them up after the, the player final footballers generally are motivated themselves um, my worry if I've got a worry this season is that at some stage the mental and fickle burnout will will come um, I don't know when or if it'll come, um, but that's one thing I'm worried about on the back of three out of the last four, four years playoff finals um, and very little break and the amount of games this season. But it's the same for, for, for all clubs and all managers. Um, but that is one thing in the back of my mind which might well come at a certain stage throughout this season. Well then, Matty, I've got to ask the question. On, on, based on what you just said there, we all know that, that Exeter City received a, a windfall from, from the Ollie uh, Watkins transfer um four million pounds by all accounts will any of that be made available to you do you think to, to to strengthen the team should you need it in the next window i hope so i'm gonna ask for some <laughs> <laughs> i'm certainly gonna ask for some um look sam knows more than anyone excess city work in a certain way and um, we're owned by the trust um, and we have to generate our own money our own income um, and that's even more difficult when there's no fans coming through the turnstiles so um, a lot of it will be paid to pay initial debts um, and to pay off some of the stadium and then some investment in the training ground and then the, the budget for the next couple of seasons. So this squad of players we've got now has been assembled on a, a certain type of budget, um, but there is room for strengthening in January. Um, that window is always a difficult window because every manager is looking for the, the same sort of profile. Um, but we certainly want to be in that market, um, something we've probably not done in the last couple of seasons. If anything, the last couple of Januarys have weakened us in terms of losing the likes of, of Jaden Stockley and, and other players. Um, so we want to be in those markets, um, but it's got to be the right value for this football club. 
we can't go signing the most expensive players who are going to come and play a bit part in the remainder of the season. They've got to see it as an investment into coming into the, the southwest of England or coming down to the southwest of England and buying into what we are as a football club, a development club. Um, and like you touched upon there, we got the windfall from from Ollie Watkins. Um, I'm sure we'll be doing that in, in the next few years from, from some of our young players at the moment. Yeah, there might be a few more sell-on fees in the future. I mean, looking at some of the young players you got you got involved in the squad at the moment. A few few bonuses, I'd imagine. Joel Randall, obviously last season on loan in non-league. You got Archie Collins. He's played you know every game I think so far and impressed. They just keep coming, don't they? These these graduates. They've been outstanding. Um, it's important to say these aren't eighteen-year-old kids. They've, they've had two years as pros training with us every day and, and spent their time on loan in the non-league scene, which isn't always pretty on loan at Truro and Tiverton and, and Taunton, respectively. Um, but learning the trade and learning men's football, um, I think Archie Collins has played you know eighty or ninety games now. Um, he's been a really top top player for a long period of time for ourselves. And then the likes of Joe Randall and Josh Key have, have come. As a surprise to a lot of people, but we saw their potential years ago. They just needed a bit of time and, and they needed the opportunity as well. Um, and if there's ever a time to, to play your young ones, it's certainly at the moment when there's no fans um, giving them either a bit of abuse or, or, or keeping them motivated. Um, it's a great time to play the young kids. Great time to play the young kids and they're doing really well as well. You're fourth in the table, Matt. What, what's the ultimate aim of the season? Um, look, at the start of every season, you want to get promoted. It's as simple as that. Um, but I was realistic at the start of the season on the changeover we had, um, losing those nine and eight senior players and, and not recruiting as strongly as we would have liked. Um, I was a little bit unsure of, of what we would be in terms of the season, um, but we've started off consistently. The league hasn't settled down yet in terms of the the, the, the big hitters or the big spenders or the teams with the, 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 the bigger squads and the best players haven't quite hit for me. I, I suspect they will do in the coming months. Um, but we've got to stay as close to it as we possibly can. And then, like I say, January might look slightly differently for ourselves than it has done in, in recent seasons. If we have a positive recruitment drive in January and keep our form going on the pitch, then, then we'll, we'll be close to it. But a lot can happen between now and, and January and now and the end of the season. Um, but the value of consistency over a number of seasons at this club is, is showing time and time again. Matt Taylor there, Exeter City manager. Now then, the game of the weekend came at Vale Park. At seven goals, two of them coming in injury time to snatch Tranmere victory, including the indisputable goal of the weekend. Morris collects. Morris has a goal! Oh, what a screamer! The 96th minute of an engrossing affair at Vale Park. And Tranmere Rovers have surely snatched all three points with an absolute screamer from Kieran Morris. Adrian, this was just a cracking game, wasn't it? Talk us through it, though. Um, I mean, did it all kind of fall apart when Luke Joyce was, was sent off for Port Vale? I think it did to some degree from a Port Vale perspective. It was a bad tackle. It was a really bad one. And I don't think he could have any any complaints at, at getting the red card. What what happened is what often happens when when you lose a player and you're winning. It's you you retreat and you you start to think right. We can't give this away. And and that I think gave the initiative back to Tremere, who started the game very very. You know, even though they fell behind two 0 they'd, they'd bounced back quite nicely. They were playing some nice stuff. Um, and it gave them the initiative to really just just pepper them towards the end of the game. You got got to admire the work that the caretaker Ian Dawes is doing. He's he's backed up a win at Harrogate, one 0 in the league, an FA Cup uh, triumph against Accrington, and he's gone and, and won at Vale Park. It's that you know it's it's a good audition for the job. Um, Would you give it to him? Well, yeah, I think he has to be a contender. I mean, the players are clearly enjoying themselves. He's made a few changes. He's um, he's got the team playing with more assertiveness and I always l- like that in a team they're playing higher up the pitch a bit more attack minded we saw that with the adventure of the comeback um, and they've got great forward players I think that's clearly the strength of their team Blackett Taylor was awesome in the game James Vaughan is also in the group Otis Khan pushes on from midfield to score goals Woolery the same he came off the bench uh, Morgan Ferrier was on the bench as well. Liam Feeney, who was brilliant for Blackpool last year, wasn't there because his wife was giving birth. So they've got loads of options going forward, Tranmere. They should, in theory, be one of the most exciting teams to watch in League Two. And they haven't been. So hopefully, if Ian Dawes carries on in the job lo- a bit longer, they'll they'll develop into that. Um, but yeah, no, this was, this was a deserved win, I think. Uh, Port Vale will be kicking themselves, obviously. 
But, but over the course of the 90, Tranmere with their slick passing uh, and high tempo, I think uh, there were no, no real grumbles that they deserved the three points. Yeah, Port Vale will be kicking themselves because they drop out of the promotion places as a result of that as well. But they have been decent this season, so always a good watch and I'm sure they'll bounce back. Uh, now, it wouldn't be a Totally Football League show if we didn't mention South End, would it? And it definitely wouldn't be a Totally Football League show if we didn't shout about South End actually winning. Anyway, so I keep possession inside the box and it's in! Emil Aqua on the turn and finding the bottom corner. Adrian Clark, as a former uh, Southend player, they actually deserved this, didn't they? They did, yeah. It was a really good team performance. And they the manager was, was fortunate in that he had a couple more experienced players available. John White, who, when I used to go and watch Southend most weeks, he was, he was a stalwart of the defence and he's still there sent many years later. And it's his first start of the season, first start since February, actually. And he played really well alongside Lennon, who, who's one of the more experienced players. You've got Oxley, who's, who's vastly experienced in goal. In midfield, Dieng and uh, Dimitriou. So the spine of the team, for once, wasn't, wasn't full of kids and young players that, that were adjusting to the level. So, so that definitely made the difference. Um, so no, well, well played. I, I'm chuffed for Mark Mosley. I know that South End fans are really pleased for him because no, no one's really getting on his back. Um, it's, it's Ron Martin, the, the chairman, really, that, that, that is sort of facing the wrath of the, of, the, of the supporters because they want the embargo lifted. They want the club to be in a position where they can go and recruit now. Uh, Mark Molesley has got a lot of goodwill behind him. And because this was a, a tactical win, they went with a game plan and, and it worked, went slightly more direct and were very compact, then, you know, I, th- I, th- I think hopefully... Onwards and upwards. It'll give the players so much, so much of a lift. And, and I've looked at the fixtures, Faye. They've only faced one team in the current bottom eight so far. So they've definitely got a chance to reel some teams in if they can put a run together. They've got Bolton, Stevenish, Gunthorpe, Mansfield, Grimsby, all in the, in the coming weeks, all before mid-December. That little spell of games, that, that might actually define their, their season and possible survival. Sam, anything else that you want to add uh, beyond just screaming shrimp, shrimpers and keeping it going for as long as possible? <laughs> yeah, um, I've seen Southend this season and yeah, they're very youthful. So Adrian's bang on um, with the players that came back uh, at the weekend, Dieng and Dimitriou, the spine of the team, you know, looking stronger now. And you can probably get away, you know, my experience of having a bit more flair in the wide areas or maybe a bit more inconsistency. If you get that spine right, really good. Um, most shots on target uh, this season by some distance, seven they had in the game. And I wanted to talk about the striker, Aqua, who obviously came on and got the winner. And listen, I might have got this horribly wrong, but every time I've seen him, I've liked the look of him. And I think they were going to let him go in the summer. And Mosley actually tied him down to a new contract, not because there was interest, but because they probably didn't think he was going to make the grade. So he's 20 years old. Uh, he's had quite a productive loan spell in non-league. I just, I've liked his awareness when I've seen him. His hold-up play, his touch is good. I mean, he's probably 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I would say. And the bit he's had to add is getting goals because he doesn't get in enough goal-scoring positions. I'm not seeing him have enough shots, headers, uh, I think that's just his third, maybe, career goal, professional, talking about um, EFL goal. So it was a brilliant goal as well. Shifted it onto his left side and drilled it into the far post. So for me, he's one to keep an eye on because I think he's got potential to have a good career and and maybe go on to a higher tier. So listen, come back to me if I've got this horribly wrong in 12 <laughs> months, 24 months time. Don't you worry, we will. Um, right, final stop <laughs> is the newly made Mansfield under Nigel Clough. An unbeaten start and Mansfield's first league victory coming at the innocent new lawn over Forest Green. Uh, Sam, this really feels like what we expect Mansfield to be now. A kind of team challenging those towards the top and just getting better and better under Nigel Clough. Yeah, possibly. I, I think they probably just needed a kick up the backside. Confidence. Organised further he's changed the system we we know him I think latterly at Burton as a 4-3-3 man it looks like they've gone that way it was the 3-5-2 it seemed to be week after week with Coughlin despite 
you know, disappointing results. So um, I, I think that's kind of what he's done in the short. There's four front players to choose from, none of them pulling up trees. So Nigel Clough, having been a creative goal-scoring type player, he needs to focus on that area as well because the calibre of the player, as Tranmere have in their squad at the front of the, the pitch, is great. So he needs to get Cook and Maynard and Jamie Reid, a player that scored freely in non-league, firing uh, in League Two, which they should all be capable of. But, you know, this was just an old-fashioned performance, uh, raced into a lead and then defended with their lives in hellish conditions against a, a forest green onslaught. So I'm not going to get too, too sophisticated today and I'll, I'll pass that to, to Adrian if he's seen something that I haven't. <laughs> Adrian? <laughs> no, 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 you're right. I mean, the stats tell you that. They had seven shots. Forest green had 22. And it, and it is, it's that it's that situation. You, you race into an early lead. It's like, blimey, especially against a team like Forest Green, who... who well, statistically, they've had the most shots, they make the most passes, the most accurate passes, and, and they face the fewest shots, Forest Green. So in all the key, key areas, Forest Green, are, uh, uh, numbers-wise, the best team in the division. So when you race into a lead against them, you think, right, OK, let, let, let's make sure we don't throw this away. But no, look, he's, he's, a, he's an experienced gaffer. And I think he's a good people person. I, I get that impression. He's a decent man-manager. I think he'd have gone round a few of the individuals, arm round the shoulder, and just said, "Look, I know that you're a better player than you've you've shown, you know, in recent times. I believe in you." And and he's he's, he's begun to get a, a tune out of some of these guys. So yeah, I think Mansfield. We, we've said all along they've they've got the squad to be challenging for promotion. Um, maybe they've got they've got the right manager as well now. Okay, before we move on, anything else you'd like to mention, shout out, or just bring our attention to that we might have missed, either of you? Trippers. <laughs> well, Scunthorpe. We can't. We can't go the whole pod without giving Scunthorpe a mention, can we? Blimey. The pass eventually finds him. He's got support on the overlap, but Van Veen trying to go alone. Oh, what a hit! I mean, they had lost eight in a row, hadn't they? And they they just come off the back of a COVID outbreak and or a COVID break, and then going out of the cup at home to Solihull Moors. So they went to Oldham and and won two 0 and absolutely battered them. You know, had more of the ball and more shots. It was a, it was a really accomplished um, away performance uh, from from Scunthorpe. So, so well done to them. I think a little bit like Southend, he brought in uh, a couple more experienced players, particularly uh, fullback Junior Brown and Jordan Clark came in for their first starts. Issa came back. He's a winger that that's always capable of, of making something happen. Um, yeah, back to basics from Scunthorpe, and it and it and it worked well for them. I don't want to say that um, the pandemic's ever been a positive for anyone at any stage, but considering they've had eight straight defeats, I think we're probably looking at a chairman who's just taking a breath and just thinking the circumstances that agents just laid down there has to come into account this season. And um, yeah, I think simplifying things and going a little bit back to basics, waiting for players to regain fitness, whether that's through the the illness or through injury was a really sensible thing here. And the thing that's staring out to me when we talk about South End and Scunthorpe is just the goals. They need to improve in that department. I mean, they had four in the previous eight games uh, before the victory at Oldham. So, and South End, I think, have had six in their 12 games. So they don't improve in that department. They're, they're both going to get, um, you know, sucked into real, well, they're going to continue to be in real relegation danger. So that's where both, both need, teams need to improve. Yeah, very much so. They needed that regroup. We need to regroup and have a look at the odds as well. Abby, what does all this movement from the weekend do to the odds? Uh, first of all, who's winning League Two? Well, the weekend really hasn't affected the odds because Newport are still the favourites to win League Two. They're nine to two. Cheltenham coming in second at eleven to two. Exeter thirteen to two. Of course, we spoke to Matt Taylor earlier. Cambridge, who do currently sit in second place, are ten to one. So, who's getting promoted? Doesn't change too much in the promotion stakes. Newport or evens, Cheltenham six to five, extra thirteen to ten, and Forest Green seventy to ten. Salford City still up there despite their loss to Bolton at the weekend, nine to five, and Cambridge twenty-one to ten. That's about it for today. Then, uh, before we end, though, in celebration of Tony Pulis's return to the football league. Uh, this is almost like, do you have a favourite chocolate bar, isn't it? Do you have a favourite baseball cap? 
Adrian Clark. <laughs> I, I really don't suit caps, I'm afraid. Yeah, I just look truly awful in any kind of cap. So, so no, I don't even own one. Um, the, actually, the, the only cap I own is a flat cap. A kind of, you know, country squire type flat cap. And yeah, even, even that I feel a little bit of a plonker wearing. So yeah, it's, it's just not for me. Well, I know what I'm getting you for Secret Santa in that case, Sam. <laughs> um, amazingly, I do. Um, and it's because of the sun. I don't really like baseball caps, but I just get, you know, so sunburnt and so lightheaded if my bald scalp gets the, the brunt of it. So <laughs> during lockdown one, I unearthed the San Francisco Giants baseball cap, which I bought from the baseball stadium in San Francisco, funnily enough. And um, it's a little bit weathered. And um, I wore it all throughout the summer. It's obviously black with the orange uh, SF emblem on the front. And I love it. I love it. But it wouldn't be my choice. I'd probably more a woolly hat or a, or a flat cap. Uh, as well like Clarkie said but yeah it's um it's so much of a favorite that I've been online and I'm going to get a fresh one for next oh, summer <laughs> wow well see now here's me thinking this was an insignificant discussion but you know you just smashed it there Sam it's very important mine is just a plain black baseball cap and I do wear it all the time but I don't wear anything jazzy or anything like that it's just plain and very boring just like me uh, right anyway until next time join Ali and George on Thursday for the Totally Football League show Extra Time Matt will be back on Monday thank you for having me but for now it's goodbye from Adrian Sam and me as well goodbye You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello. I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Muddy Knees Media.